one-year anniversary present for Linda Anderson Ochoa is a gold medal. Yeah, pretty, she, pretty cool. She's paying rent this month. <laughs> and and I, I, I got to say, it was it was only 89,000 sky miles to fly her over there, so she's going to have to find a way to pay that back. That more than paid for itself, I would say. She, uh, she offered to buy me a new driver for golf, so, you know, I'll be getting the new. Yeah, there is a check involved with Neem, isn't there, yeah. with winning? So I'll be getting the new Cobra King LTD. All right. It, I'll be able to hit it even further out of bounds than I already do. Nice. <laughs> hey, everybody. I'm George Tekmichov here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson for the first podcast of 2016. Hope you've had a happy new year so far. Um, I know Steve has. Yeah. And uh, certainly Linda. Yeah. Your better half. Um, we're going to recap Neem. We're going to talk about Lancaster coming up in about two days. Yeah, from when we yeah you're leaving you're leaving uh, tomorrow for Lancaster as this is recorded on the 20th of January and then uh, we're gonna give a little prognostication for Vegas and we'll wrap up the show with a few listener questions that have come in cool let's start out with Neem you know this was the third leg of the Archery World Indoor Cup and uh, all the heavy hitters were there mm-hmm. Neem's the second biggest indoor tournament in the world behind Vegas behind Vegas I would say it's the true World Archery format championships because there's a lot more countries well there's no limit on how many guys can come and it's 23 size arrows yep and so yeah, um, if you're talking world archery indoor format this that neem is the world championships because it's got the vertical face yeah by the way i'm headed to the world championship to do the uh the yapping behind the microphone oh so you're gonna be the guy i am so um that'll be interesting to go to uh ankara i've never been to ankara you know, uh, Istanbul. I did it. done two indoor world championships in Turkey. Both of them um, ten years apart. In uh, nineteen ninety seven, in Istanbul, and then in Izmir in two thousand seven, uh, when my good friend Nami Hayakawa from Japan won the uh, women's recurve. Mm. So that was pretty cool. And um, so it'll be it'll be uh, the third time that I'm doing a world indoor in Turkey. But back to Neem. That is arguably, I, I totally agree with you. I, that yep. is the world indoor. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you, know. you stick the sheer number of at least. I feel that way at least for my category, at least for men's compound, because you know there was like twelve U.S. archers there. Where at World Championship, there's only three. Right. You know, so you arguably get a much more competitive class. And you had a lot more heavy hitters from the United States at this event. You had Dave Cousins there. You had uh, Brayden Galantine. You had, I mean, you know, go down yeah, the list. Yeah, we had a number of great shooters who didn't even make the cut. You yeah. Know? Sebastian Pinot didn't make the cut. Uh, Bridger Deaton didn't make the cut. Real Wild. Real Wild was 32nd at the end of this thing. Yeah, he, he got in on the shootoff. And I guess he had a bad deal with his release hook or something. Had something go wrong with how he hooked it up? or I, Yeah, I think that was what happened in the eliminations. Uh-huh. And yeah, it cost him. But yeah, off, He's off to a rough start. He didn't make the World Indoor team either. Well, that, I'm going to predict a good a good finish for him at Lancaster. He uh, bounces back well. Yeah, no doubt about it. And um you know, we saw a good performance from Mike Schlusser until the final, and and uh, you know he just didn't didn't seem to be there. I, I watched it on YouTube, and he wasn't himself. Yeah, it was um, it was not as strong as he was the day before, and that that happens sometimes. You know, he Braden shot awesome as well. Um, yeah, Braden's on a roll. Not to toot my own horn, but I sort of saved him. He was he was at two on the clock, and no one was calling it you out. You coached him through. From the from the sponsors' seats, I I gave him the two one, and he nice. cut one loose. So well, that's that's what friends do. He, he owes me, you know, pack of chewing gum. Half half of the rent. 
Yeah. And Linda shot the uh, the new Contour CS, so that would be the first, uh, yeah. the debut, the world debut of the Contour CS. Yeah, she was having some serious te- uh, tendonitis problems with her elbow, and um, so it's it's going away with the Contour CS. So nice. that's good. I mean, the the reaction on the bow is is better than what she was working with. So that, that's terrific. Yeah, that's uh, that's one benefit of it. The other benefit is she feels like it aims awesome. So I'm pretty sure she's uh, number one with a bullet for the uh, final. Right. For yeah, she should World be, Cup indoor final. Since the first two are just half points, yeah. so she should be solid. And Toya is right up there, I gather. Yeah, Toya shot the first leg. Toya is probably actually number one. Okay. Yeah, Toya shot awesome in the yeah. uh, in the qualification round. <clears throat> yeah, she shot good there. Um, shot good in the bronze match. I mean, she almost her and Linda were at a one arrow shoot off, so she could have been in the gold match. Toya just switched to um, Hoyt from uh, Matthews. From Matthews, right? yeah. yep. And Linda, did, you know, Linda's shooting the same uh, bow. Um, there's been a few people just changing here. Uh, Braden Galantine's shooting a Matthews, but it's mm-hmm. a different Matthews. Yeah, right? it's a it's it's new a, design. Yeah, it's a 35 inch. Um, you know, a little shorter. It's not, it's not like a hunting bow, but it's not a you know traditional geometry target bow yeah. either. But you know, he he told me he said if I <laughs> said if I miss a, a 10 at Vegas with this bow, you know, something is seriously wrong. I get, I get the impression some of the guys who've switched bow manufacturers this year are off to a slow start. The Martin Dam's bow. Switch to um, from Matthews to Prime, I think it was. Yeah, and um, did not have a good event. Yeah, he didn't make the cut. But uh, you know, Neem is a crazy one. That that tournament was the first time I've been nervous for qualification in a long time. Just because it's such a know, big thing. Yeah, you know, if you have a bad day, you're not in. It's if almost you like have Vegas. a mediocre day, you're rolling the dice. You, you flip a coin, you may or may not make it. I guess the only difference is because of World Archery scoring, your expectation mentally for a perfect score is not the same as it is in Vegas. Yeah, it to me it's a little easier to shoot under world archery rules because you think about it, you don't, you're not, you know, you can shoot a seven and it's not like it kills you, you know. It, it certainly hurts the score, but at Vegas it's one shot and out. At world archery format, you can miss, you know, you you can well not a miss probably, you can't give up ten points in one shot, but you can drop some points and whatever you move along. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, it's. On the men, uh, for the compound, you know, you had Mr. Perfect, Mike Schlusser and Braden Galantine. And Mike, you know, famously set the first perfect 600 in qualifying last year in Neem. Didn't uh, quite get there this year and had a rough final, I would say, for his standards. Yeah. Won by, uh, Braden Galantine won by two points, uh, 147-145. Something like that, yeah. It's not often you see Mike shoot, you know, below a 149. And Braden didn't (laughs) make the cut last year. Um, I don't remember. He did but not yeah, make the sounds, cut last year. But, yeah. you know, I think Braden characterized That's it as true. nerves on both sides. You know, Mike uh, said that, you know, he, he wanted to win it for a second year in a row. He wanted it too much is, is how he's quoted by our friend Chris Wells over at World Archery. Yeah. And I can I can see that. You know, you can yeah. see the pressure. You know, I mean, he's he may be Mr. Perfect, but he's not perfect perfect. You know, it's well and, and legitimately. I mean, if you look at the round of 16 where I lost, I mean, I shot a 149 and didn't even, you know, that wasn't good enough to even tie. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> There was 11 of the 16 guys, I think I counted, shot 149 or better. Mm. So so perfect is a, almost an absolute necessity. And even then, sometimes perfect is not enough because two times I have seen Broadwater and Schlosser both roll perfect scores and have to shoot off for it, you know, and, and shoot good X's and still lose. Right, right. It's uh, Speaking of shooting good, 
you you shot very well, but I think you were, there was a coin toss that kind of gave you a disadvantage there. Yeah, I was just kind of unlucky in the bracketing, you know, to have to shoot against Jesse second round. Jesse sucked. having shot the number one qualifying score and then ended up with a bronze medal in this thing. Yeah, I could have been anywhere from like I don't remember it was something like twelve to eighteen or or even further on the seating. There's a lot of ties in there, um, and that yeah that coin toss which I would love to be present for those. I've never actually seen the coin toss. Yeah. You know, I'm not wild about that eight-way tie for 17th thing that they do. It's kind of silly. They might as well just seat them based on their final score. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's just kind of, you know, you got... You split the points. What is it, eight people in 17th place, and it's it's just dumb. Yeah. I don't like it. I I don't either. You know, give give them their due, you know? Mm -hmm. One of those guys was 17th, and one of those guys was 32nd, and, you know... And if they're, you know... in, like in my round, if I went out with a 149 and so did someone else, cool, give us a tie. But for the guy who went out with a 145, yeah. he doesn't deserve number nine. Right. That's kind of where I'm at there. Because yeah. so. a, a top 10 finish to me means something. Recurve. There was uh, a lot of good stuff in the recurves, uh, starting with a new world record from Miss Park from Korea. Yeah, and I think we talked about, we predicted what would be the next world record. We I, did. I think we said... Uh, we women, talked about women's recurve. Yeah, we said that would go down. I think I actually predicted men's to drop first. I predicted women. Yeah, and I predicted a Korean. Yeah. So I'm gonna take <clears throat> I'm gonna take my uh, gold star on that one. I, I think that one could go again very soon. I, I hate to say it, but I'm not gonna tell you for a second that I, I've ever seen Miss Park Sehui before. Yeah, I hadn't either. Just another example of the tremendous depth, depth of Korean yeah. shooters. This is the first time I've seen her at an international event. I'm going to predict if Korea fields a team at Indoor Worlds that you'll see a, another world record there, 595. I, I believe you. I think you're right, and I think that uh, it's not because, by the way, that they're putting any special emphasis on indoor. It's just the depth that they've got, the talent. Well, if you're over there and you, you, know, you want to make a name for yourself, it's pretty hard if you're just shooting there. It, you might as well get out and shoot some indoor stuff. And by the way, with X tens, yeah. So no, no, you know, jar lickers, no line cutters. They're just no. pound in the middle. Yeah. I saw her target. It was like <laughs> it was like one arrow or two arrows that were clearly out, and the rest of them were just oh my goodness, yeah. just crazy. It was good shooting. Yeah, Gwendolina Sartori though, not a slouch. She, the uh, archer from Italy, uh, had a strong um, second place in the rankings in the qualification, and then um, got herself. Uh, a, a solid position for the World Cup indoor final with the win in Nîmes. What was the name on that? Gwendolina Sartori from Italy. Oh, okay. And then uh, I believe Max Mandia's sister shot well too. She did. She shot did shoot well. Ninety two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, which was the world record six years ago by two-time world record holder Beringer Shu mm-hmm. of France. So uh, yeah. and Beringer was there, but uh, you know, not quite at that level. Yeah, like Max told me. He said, you know, he shot a 590, which is fine shooting. Phenomenal. And, so, and he said, you know, I've never been disappointed in a 590 yeah. except when my sister beat me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he should be proud because yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they are a great archery family, the Mandias. Um, you know, um, Gwendolina says that she's been training under uh, Witsi Van Alten, yeah. the uh, bronze medal nice. winner of the Barcelona Olympics. And, um, you know, Witsy's been teaching the Italian team for a couple of years now. And she says she's been working very hard shooting and going to the gym every day and swimming. And so uh, this is clearly working out well for her. She uh, is the woman who qualified a slot for Italy for the the Olympic Games at the World Championships in Copenhagen. Yeah. And uh, Luca Milotto uh, took the gold medal match against Alexander Kosin of Russian Federation in the full five sets. Had to go all the way through. 
Yeah, they each shot 149 as well. That wow. was an awesome match. And Luca actually um, put himself in the hole after the, um, I think, the final regulation set. Or, uh, yeah, just before the final regulation set, he was down 5-3. And then um, our Russian guy, Mr. Kozin, uh, shot a 9. Mm-hmm. Luca was back to a perfect score and needed a tiebreaker. Yep. So Luca shot first, had a line cutter 10. I heard that Alexander also had a line cutter 10. With a big arrow. With a 23. Luca was shooting X-10s, mm-hmm. and Luca's arrow was closer to center. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm ignorant as to how they measure. It's not from center of the X to center of the shaft. It's center of the X to the nearest to edge. To the edge of the shaft. I, I, think, I think measuring to center of the shaft would be better. But I think not that's if you're a hard. Shooting. <laughs> Depends on what you're shooting. Well, okay. That it doesn't, would make it equal. Then it, but how do you find the actual exactly. center of the That's shot? a hard judgment to make. There are ways to do it, but you'd, you'd, it would require uh, some technical equipment that wouldn't be yeah. handy to put down there and, and use. They'd have to bring a set of calipers and mark both edges and then figure out the middle and mark it again. Yeah, or you, there's another way to do it with a laser, but it would be <laughs> difficult. Ed, and edge of shaft works, I listen, guess. Listen, the judges have their hands full with just using calipers. Yeah. Let's give them a break. Yeah, there. we've seen them use those wrong. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so let's not go there. But um, you know, it seems to me that uh, that that was uh, a crowd pleaser of a match. Yeah, know? it was awesome. And then you had uh, Brady Ellison uh, taking the bronze for the men, and Elena Tonetta taking the bronze for the women. Yeah, which made for a great group photo. Twelve shooters who took medals at this event, all wearing Easton jerseys. It was nice. It, I mean, on on my behalf, that's huge. You know, and like like my boss said, hey, now we don't have to fire you. Yeah, that you got everybody to put their jersey on before yeah. the fi- before the to take a photo because that's like herding cats, man. Yeah. I mean, the minute this thing is done, everybody is scrambling for the doors, right? Yeah. And so you, you congratulations. It was cool. You know, going into it, you know, Saturday night, I knew we had the sweep because we had all four archers in all four categories shooting Easton. So nice. That was really cool. Really cool. And, um, you know, just, uh, how do I put this? You know, these folks aren't getting paid to shoot this product. They're, they're just shooting it. And I think that's really, really nice. Yeah. The, the vast majority of those people are not on shooting staff with us. Yeah. You know, so we're, we're going to be paying them contingency like we would any other archer who were to win with these scenarios. So how much contingency, uh, and winnings did a gold medalist make at this event? Cause they pay um, the same for all categories at this event, yeah, right? I think it's 500 from, from us. And then, you know, you can count on a few thousand dollars from a bow manufacturer. And then I think, uh, the tournament paid out 4,000 euro. So that's a good $10,000 day more yeah, or less. Yeah, I figure for, you're around 7,500 to. If you're, if you 10, have 000. a contract with a, with a bow company. Most, no, most bow companies, it's open contingency. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Okay. All so right. Any, any, anyone picking up a, you know, brand X bow, just look at their contingency list and you get that. I just hate make that sure when, you submit it. <laughs> I hate that when people shop around for what they're going to shoot by contingency. Right. I, I used to, <clears throat> we, I know, I know a shooter, <clears throat> excuse me. I know a shooter who used to show up at the Vegas shoot and they used to put a contingency sheet on the tables of the Vegas shoot. He'd go to the table, grab the contingency sheet, start looking at what was paying what, and then start running around to all the booths and start changing stuff on his bow. Huh. Based on who was paying what. Because he felt like. This was a recurve guy. Right. A well-known recurve he guy. He might as well just turn in his entry fee. And might as well. Walk away. Well, but but this was a good shooter. He just, yeah. But he never won when he did that. Look, like, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's cool. Contingency is cool. But the differences in what the low 
paying companies pay and what the high paying companies pay, not much. And if you're out there shooting for contingency money, if that's why you're doing it, like get real, you know, you're, you're, it's not that much money at the end of the day. It would be nice if we were like tennis or, you know, golf where the number 200 person can make a living, you know? Yeah. But the unfortunately, no, we're just... Yeah, the number one doesn't make that great of a living, so... Well, in golf, they do. Well, in in archery. You and know. I, I probably shouldn't mention tennis now, considering some of the stuff going on there. Oh, my goodness. I haven't heard. People are throwing matches and getting paid under the table by gambling organizations. Oh, nice. Not good. So... <laughs> Yeah, I don't think we'll ever have to worry about that in archery. <laughs> you know, uh, at least not for I a long was just time. told by Bruce Cole that betting will be on the table this year. Well, it's Vegas, right? Yeah, so it's a it's a capped number, I guess. You you can only win a certain amount, but I figure where I've never made the shoot off. You know, I just got bounced in the second round at Neem. I like my. I think my odds are going to be sweet. So here's here's something to consider. Um, World archery is going after gambling in the sport, the same way they're going after drugs in the sport. Really? Yeah, and I think it's actually an IOC thing for every sport. Uh, but um, you know, there's a there's a uh, a push on to make sure that gambling never has an influence in the sport of archery, which is fine. I think that's awesome for yeah. them to pursue that kind of. We want our sport to stay pure. Oh, definitely. And I I don't I don't foresee it ever being the place where big gambling money would would lead to that. But one never knows. Yeah. All right, uh, moving on. You're headed to Lancaster. Rob Coffold is putting on the what will be the biggest Lancaster shoot. Um, do you remember the number he told us? Nope. I don't either, but it was a couple thousand people. Yeah, I think it's around 1,200, 1,500, something like that. Uh-huh. So a big turnout, uh, making it the second biggest indoor event in the, in the United States, I think, maybe behind Vegas. You know what could be that it's... Um, maybe behind Louisville. Louisville with NFAA, but that's a different format. So speaking of format, uh, they're going to the vertical face. Yeah. And maybe you can explain the scoring for Lancaster because it's different. Yeah, X-Ring becomes an 11. So 660 is possible on the round. Goes to 11. Yeah, X-Ring becomes 11. It's kind of cool, actually. I, I, I like that. I wish World Archery format was that way. Makes it hard for the media to figure out scores, though. Yeah, but it would be nice because a big yellow would be a nine. I'm not sure I'm competent enough as an announcer to be able to do the math fast enough to be able to do the job. <laughs> it, it's yeah, that's the issue. Well, you oh, could look oh, at it's it. the issue, is it? Well, that's the issue. Is it? It complicates the. It the does complicate the scoring. Like that. It's great for archers. I'm yeah. not sure it's great for spectators. So here's the other thing we could do: leave the in world archery. Leave the X as a ten. Big ten becomes a, a nine for compound. Big 10 becomes a nine. The rest of the yellow is an eight. I, I knew you were headed there for compound. What do we do about the fact that a perfect score has been shot? As a, as a top compound guy, what do you want to see? I want to see a few more get shot. Okay. All right. <laughs> so you don't want them to change the target. Uh, no, definitely not. But you don't feel that you are you know, in a position of wanting to have an opportunity for your own perfect score? Because um, you can't do it now. I mean, you can shoot it, but you can't have a record. Right, can't have the record, but I really don't care about that. That's a name on a piece of paper, you know. True. Having done it, the next person who does it will be every bit as much you know, of a legend as you, Mike you is. Know, you know, I do have one national record, and I do have that framed and in my house. So, Oh, yeah? Yeah. So, actually, for some people, it does matter. And what what's that? It was for a, a team round. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the 90s. Cool. Yeah. Recurve team round. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I don't think it should change. The, the world archery format... It's good how it is. Don't don't change the target face. What I'm saying, the if you want to change the scoring to where, you know, a humongous nine doesn't 
pay out the same as a small nine, that's great. But club level, if you make the yellow smaller, the game gets really difficult. So I think we're going to see the American, Mexican, uh, Canadian, and some European heavy hitters showing up for Rob's event. Yeah, Mike Schlosser's there. Um, there'll be there'll be a number of people there because it makes sense on the travel into to Vegas. So sure, it'll be a weather's going to be a challenge. I gather. That's what I'm hearing. So I hope I make it. If it becomes an issue, I'm just in a bag. I, I got plenty of work here to do. I've, I've been Fair out enough. of the office basically the entire month. So sorry if you sent me an email. Huh? Yeah. Well, and sorry for those of you who've been waiting for a podcast because we haven't been in the same place for the last three weeks, I think. Yeah. And um, so moving on with, with Lancaster, you know, we've got, uh, I would say, three what you might consider to be premier categories for that thing. You know, men's compound, women's compound, men's recurve. Yeah. And then there's a smattering of others, you know, all of which are important, all yeah. of which have good shooters. Senior pro gets pretty competitive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but people are paying attention to the, the the thing most people are paying attention to is going to be the men's recurve, I think. Or, excuse me. <laughs> sorry. There's my bias. The men's compound. <laughs> yeah. it it And here in the States, that's what people care like to make to predictions see. at all. Um. Yeah. You already gave us one. You said that Rio was going to come back strong. I think he'll come back, back. Yeah. yeah. I think Mike will be in there, and I think Jesse will be in there. Yeah. And I hope I can get in the mix as well. I think we'll see Chris Perkins there maybe yeah. doing well. Perkins will get in the mix. Um, um, what about um, Bridger Deaton? Um, yeah, I think I think he'll probably make a, a good comeback from Neem as well. Had a kind of rough time there. Yeah. Um, the boys from uh, Wyoming, are they? or sorry, from Montana, are the they Montana still? Montana boys. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I keep mixing up those two states. Yeah, chalk one of them up for you know, at Lancaster making the top eight is huge, you know. Yeah. That's a that's an accomplishment. I mean when and you I did, did that, it, right. Yeah. So so here's the unique thing, and, and those of you who heard the podcast with Rob Coffold will remember this, but most of you folks out there probably haven't heard or remember. So please walk us through that procedure. So basically every arrow it's you a shoot, shoot up counts. Yeah. When you you shoot for the top sixty four. That's your qualification round. Then you go top 64 bracketed until the round of eight. And at the round of eight, they take every arrow you've shot for the whole tournament, add them all up, and rank you one through eight, depending on where you fall. And then eight shoots against seven, the winner of that against six, and so forth. So you can end up number two. You could win, in fact, if you ran the table. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was seven, and I got myself... I won the or seven or eight, and I won my first two matches, and then fell. Took out a couple heavy hitters when you did that. Yeah, I, I beat it. Levi on the way in. That was uh-huh. how I got in, and that uh-huh. was a big one. Um, and then I beat like Jeff Hopkins. Probably the only other guy on the line you can see eye to eye with. Yeah, one of the few, you know. <laughs> but um, no, it was a it was cool, and and it's definitely. I think a guy who comes in who ranks about fourth or so gets a match going, wins a match. And then gets kind of, you know, his feet under him, gets rolling a little bit. That's that's a guy who could win. But, you know, always that guy who who ranks first, he always has a huge advantage because he knows he's going home with second or better, you know. Yeah, it can't be worse than that. Yeah, he's kind of got, you know, a little pressure off him. He's shooting for a win and that's it. And that's always fun to do. Shooting for a win is fun. Shooting for third sucks. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I mean, to make top eight would be would be cool. That's that's the goal for the tournament. I think you'll see one of the Montana boys in there. You got Robin Tate, Morgan, um, and then Paul Tedford, Chris Schaff. Uh, I, I'm going to 
of those four, I'm going to give Paul the nod. Paul's one of my close friends. I think he's he's due for a pretty Paul solid t- tournament. Yeah, I'm going to give Paul the nod on a top eight finish. Okay, I'm going to predict Joe McGlynn medals uh, in the men's recurve. It's a good prediction. Yeah, he always seems to. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I think Chris. If, Bra- will if be Brady there. shows up and Crispin shows up, those two will medal. Yeah, Jake's going to be there, and I. I oh well, Jake is I, tough. Yeah, Jake's got some twenty-seven twelves rolling. <laughs> All right, I'm 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 going to put myself on a limb here and say Joe will beat Jake. Okay. Because Joe will shoot a tune setup. Yeah. <laughs> Jake will either have it figured out or it's either going to be dead nuts center or the wheels are going to come yeah, off one come or apart. the other. Cause I'm, I'm pulling for him though. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen him in a while. Uh, how's he, have you seen him much? I haven't. No, I think he's, he, he wasn't a name. No, he, he kind of took the winner and did nothing but train and, and probably board, a wise know. choice to get ready for Rio. Yeah. You know, I, I noticed a lot of the archers internationally chose not to shoot name. Um, you know, Chef Vandenberg from Netherlands told me he feels like shooting 20 yards is somewhat counterproductive mm. towards his 70-meter training. So he, he opted out of it. Focused and, on just getting ready for for the Rio games. Yeah. You know, um, I was talking to Ojin Hyuk last week before I didn't I didn't realize he wasn't going to Neem. And right. So he and I were communicating, and uh, he's in the same mode right now. He's actually um, shooting some really good scores. Dropped like a 352 yeah. the other day. You know, at seventy meters, so working on that. Yeah, yeah, and I've been working with him on his on his tuning and setup and stuff. So it's kind of cool. Japanese teams coming to San Diego right after Vegas and training down there, and then they're going to be back here to get ready for the Rio Games. And some other teams are going to be here in Salt Lake City. They're going to stage here. They're going to stage here. They're going to acclimate time wise. I don't Mm. think weather wise, but time wise, it'll be good acclimation for them. And then they'll head down to Rio and shoot. That's cool. It'll be. Busy summer at the Archery Center. It will indeed. And both Archery Centers. I'm sure San Diego will also yeah. be very busy. Um, so, yeah, we've got uh, – that covers Lancaster. Let's start with some very preliminary talk about Vegas here. Everybody who's anybody in compound is going to be in Vegas, and a lot of recurve shooters too. Yeah. So, you know, it's do – you, do you ever see any correlation between Lancaster and um, Vegas from the standpoint of who performs well? Or is it just the mm-hmm. usual suspects? Usual suspects. I mean, compound's such a roll of the dice anymore. So many shooters, and it so many competitive a, guys. Yeah, I mean, like, I posted on my own social media. If you're not perfect, it might not be good enough to win. And and literally, there's so many guys who can at any point throw down a perfect match for Vegas. Yeah, yeah. So they get in the shoot off, and you know, you, who knows who's going to be which is Big Ten for those three. folks out there who don't, you know. Yeah. I mean, it is the Big Ten. I think you'll see a record number of 900s this year. Vegas. Okay. All right. You'll see 20 plus. Well, that would be a record. Yeah, because I think it's usually, 19, it usually hovers around 16. Yeah, it's been 12 the last couple of years, 13 yeah. ish. So I, I think you'll see 20 plus 900s. And then it'll be, uh, you, you better be ready to go all night. All right. And I hear that. Yeah. You know? I'm doing the announcing for both the World Cup Indoor and the Vegas Finals. So uh, if you find yourself out in either of those two, I hope you'll come up and join me. I think I gave myself a shot at the Indoor Final, so maybe I'll yeah. be shooting there. But uh, Don't do what I did that year <laughs> when I made the cut for the World Indoor Final and I had to announce at the same time. <laughs> I handed the mic to Jay Bars and shot my match against Crispin Duenas and uh, actually had him on the ropes for <laughs> a short time. <laughs> That's awesome, but I uh, yeah I did not I did not beat Crispin, no. But it was a fun experience. Yeah, 
That, that indoor World Cup final is pretty cool. It is. I like that one. Yeah, I think that's a very good thing that World Archery did. And, you know, it's this could be the last World Indoor, uh, next to last World Indoor that we have coming up. The one in Ankara um, will be followed by one in Yankton. Yeah. And then maybe no more. Who knows? Well. And if you're if you're saying Yankton, just it'll be it'll be a good event. I wasn't saying Yankton. If you're if you're a listener out there and you're saying why is it in Yankton? Well, Yankton's a great place for indoor archery. It's a great you can get place ninety for meters in there. Yeah. So I, and I'll say this: I, it's not the easiest place to get to, but not it beats it beats four hours on a bus going through a number of European countries. I've had to go through to get to where I had to go with the bus driver getting lost. and Yeah, buses or trains. and yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, it's not as bad as, I mean, you know. And uh, you can get one heck of a steak. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which is more than you can say in some European countries, sorry to say. And they put ice in your soda. And they put ice in your soda. All right, so um, Vegas, that covers that, I guess. Yeah. You know, we'll we have some, a, we're going to have a lot more at Vegas because we're going to do podcasts from Vegas. We're going to podcast from Vegas. And probably more than one. And um, we're going to sit down with some shooters and, and shoot the breeze. So if you have questions for those shooters, you, somebody you want us to talk to or somebody you want to hear from, shoot us a email, podcast at eastontp.com. Podcast at eastontp.com. And you can follow Steve Anderson in social media. At Steve Anderson eight eight Instagram and Facebook, or and excuse me, Instagram and uh, Twitter. Twitter, yeah, Facebook dot com slash Big Cat Archery. Uh-huh, Big Cat Archery. Yeah, it's a it's a incorporated uh, entity. <laughs> I think it's time to start making T shirts. Oh, okay, you and Rio. <clears throat> All right, I, I don't know what to say about that except you, um, just wait. Yeah. All right, you'll probably sell a few. All right, we got a few. Um, we got a few questions from the listeners to uh, wrap up this particular podcast. And um, we've got one that's kind of interesting. And it, it kind of relates to what you brought up about Linda earlier, having some tendonitis. Um, this question comes from Matt. Uh, and Matt has given us props on archery talk. Well, thanks, Matt. That's very kind of you. Um, Matt's in his early 40s and starting to experience some pain in his bow arm, left arm for right-handed shooter, specifically his elbow. I have stopped shooting to try to rest it. I'm going to try some stretching and weight training to build my arm back up. I feel like although I'm not old, my body isn't handling archery like it did when I was younger. Uh, can you guys cover some steps to cure this ailment, proper warm-up, and just general considerations in archery should take into account as they get older? I'm not a doctor, and I yeah. don't play one on TV, but I can tell you that I've been through this exact issue, epicondylitis, or golfer's elbow, as opposed to tennis elbow. Mm. One is one's up here and one's down here. I'm pointing uh. up and down on my elbow. All right. So um, if your pain in your bow arm is in your elbow, and you said it's in your elbow, but you didn't say which side of your elbow, let's just say you've got epicondylitis or golfer's elbow. And um, by the way, you didn't mention your style of shooting. So I don't know if you're shooting a compound or a recurve. I can't shoot a compound, by the way. I can get about eight shots off before it starts to hurt. Interesting. I can shoot a recurve all day long. But I did have a pretty bad case of this, um, actually from a pistol course that I took in 2002 down at Gunsight in Arizona. I shot 1,500 rounds out of a polymer handgun and really got myself a bad case of, of tendonitis. Um, I had to, I had to get a steroid shot. I had to get a, uh, I had to get a steroid shot. Turns out Matt in his in his uh, PS down here does say that he shoots compounds, so he's a compound shooter. 
some compounds just create a jarring motion or a jarring vibration mm-hmm. that gets to some people. Yeah. And you can resolve this to some degree with um, proper stabilizer setup. But I'll tell you what, once you get tendonitis, it's pretty tough to shake. I'd go see a doctor. Yeah. I, I would. And, of course, the old, you know, rice, you know, which is rest and ice and, you know, yep. what's what's the C? Can't um, remember. Compression. Compression and, and exercise. Yeah. I definitely, you know, a little ibuprofen regimen to get the swelling down and then yeah, some physical therapy. But I would definitely go see a doctor. I just would, yeah. you know, because um, something like this can become chronic and then it's a problem yep. and then, you know, it messes up other stuff like you can't can't i couldn't reach my steering wheel i couldn't open right. the door yeah i mean got, it was i've got issues because i hyperextend my elbow a bit yeah but, i've noticed uh, that i have bicep strength and forearm strength i think that kind of protects it so uh-huh. and that's, the that's other critical good point really good point because if you have good musculature you you know you're built up and you've got some musculature it can help support and prevent some of that stuff but uh in general matt if i were you i'd get myself straight to a orthopedic guy and uh you know, he could put you on something like um, diclofenac, uh, something stronger than uh, than ibuprofen, and uh, and get you fixed up in a hurry. But you've got to fix your fix your root cause. Your root cause may be too much tension. Your root cause may be too much vibration in the setup. Yeah, I mean, obviously, some dampening on stabilization. Damping, yeah, would be a good idea um, if you if you run into that sort of thing. If you've got a real stiff stabilizer bar. I mean, that's great. I, I prefer, you know, obviously shooters want the stiffest stabilizer bar they can get, but there's definitely a reaction that comes with that, and that can be a little bit of a sore elbow. So figure out a little dampening setup, and, and that'll help for sure. All right. Next question comes from, uh, by the way, um, got a photo from John Dixon, which I wish we could share with you. This photo is a, a photo. John is a, an old friend of mine from Scotland. He took this photo in 1995 at the World Indoor, and I'm demonstrating to the Finlandic team how to how to shoot. And your feet are backwards. They are. I was more flexible back then. <laughs> That's. I, I think we need to share that on your Twitter. We'll. Uh, I already have shared okay. it on Twitter. G Techmanchov at Twitter, or at G Techmanchov. So, um, yeah, that, <laughs> that's that's pretty darn bizarre, actually. It's kind of gross. So that's Yari Lipinen <laughs> in that picture right there, and. Uh, and, 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 you know, the question comes up, um, is that what caused the sudden drop in international results for Finnish Archer? They started turning around and shooting. <laughs> I can still do that. that. That young man is really impressed. Yes, I can see that, actually. <laughs> All righty. Awesome. Uh, let's move on. Um, we, by the way, uh, did have uh, that contest with uh, the question of who was the first Archer to win in Vegas or the last archer to win in Vegas in the pro category men's pro with a with a recurve bow and, and that was Jake Jacobson but we're still getting people answering the question and the latest answer is Denise Parker <laughs> and the question was what was the last male professional to win I, I guess they must have ignored the the gender sorry Denise sorry so that's yeah uh Question from CJ Frame in Fredericksburg, Virginia. The Easton Arrow Chart's the de facto standard on matching arrows to bows. How was the Easton Arrow Chart developed? By empirical means? By calculated values? How has it changed over the years as bows have gotten more aggressive? Well, um, 
a combination of, of uh, things, a combination of empirical means, meaning testing, and calculated values. And as bows have gotten more aggressive, obviously the recommendations on the chart have gotten stiffer, to put it as simply as possible. The reason for this is because you got bows out there pushing arrows out at, you know, velocities of 340, <laughs> yeah. 350 feet per second, you know, with very yeah. aggressive cams, practically square four-stroke curves. And, you know, um, by the way, I think bows have pretty much topped out. Now it's going to yeah. be a, it's going to be a battle of features and aesthetics, and because there's only so much you can do with physics. Yeah, I mean, if if you ever hear, it was really cool when I was at Hoyt and I got to sit in on dealer school and stuff like that. The engineers do a great explanation of how speed works and and um, theoretical energy and potential energy within the bow, and and um, and then realistic energy that an archer can actually use you know your your four straw curve if it was perfectly square i think you could get somewhere around 390 feet per second or something crazy like that with with bows as they currently it'd be are. completely unpullable because you'd be instantly at peak weight yeah the the string would be if it's a 70 pound bow which is how they measure speed it'd be at 70 pounds all the way through the draw yeah, and then it would completely dump into let off it'd be very harsh it would it would hurt and it's just it's not it's not realistic not so, shootable yeah i i think you know there's some other ways that uh you'll start seeing more speed out of bows but it'll be with some some of these crazy systems we've heard about so far where you draw the bow twice to shoot once like a franklin pistol you pump it more than once yeah you know air pistol yeah you know yeah you give it a couple pumps for extra speed so yeah maybe that'll come into place no no i predict no <laughs> yeah I don't think anyone wants to draw the bow twice. I don't think it's going to happen because it's not a feature you could realistically use for hunting. You know, it's so what? It's the what's the point feature, right? You know, is it archery? After we start messing, there was a there was a quote archery product at the trade show this year, which was essentially an air gun that shoots an uh, oh yeah an arrow yeah that's not archery, folks. No, it's a gun that shoots it's a gun an arrow. shoots an arrow. Right, it's not archery. Uh, you know, I, I I could say that uh, you know I have an opinion about crossbow. And whether that's archery or not, but you know, certainly closer archery than a freaking air gun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they all have their, you know, in its own respect, crossbow. I I would call as a crossbow, not a bow and arrow. It, I, I don't want to get into it because someone will hate me for it. But yeah, well, no matter what we say, yeah. somebody's gonna. Somebody's I gonna have no it. issues with crossbow. I just don't I don't either. I'm just saying that, that I don't consider it the same thing as shooting a, even a compound bow. But you're going to find some traditionalist out there that cut his own bow out, out of a tree. That's going to say that what we do isn't archery either. So. Right, and the, yeah, you you read YouTube comments when you know World Archery posts a video and it, they're going, "What's all that stuff hanging off the bow? Yeah. That's stupid." Yeah. Well, whatever, dude. Hitting. Shooting, maybe I think shooting instinctive is stupid. I don't, for the record. But you know, everyone has their own, their own flavor and. I'm yeah, cool but I draw that. the I draw the line at no limbs, no string, and, and yeah, if it doesn't have a string, get out. Yeah, come on, exactly. All right, so uh, a couple more here. Um, we've got, actually, we've got one. More. Let me go back to the second part of the question from CJ. Um, he teaches beginning and intermediate archery classes, and a subject that always comes up is how to match an archer to the bow by eye dominance or by hand dominance. Mm. I tend to go with eye dominance. I agree. Um, that's the first thing I look for. Yeah, see, I'm, that that works as long as the archer isn't so right-handed and left eye dominant or so left-handed and right. I mean, you have to 
at some point, if someone does everything so well with one hand and so badly with the other hand, maybe you just put them in the hand they do it well with and then have them close an eye. Or put an occluder up, you know, put a yeah. piece of tape on their glasses yeah, or something like that. Yeah, I agree that in some cases, but in, in a case of a normal person with a reasonable amount of coordination, yeah. you go with eye dominance. If they have yeah, Famously, a Denise, reasonable amount of ambidextrous ability. Denise Parker, for example, is right-handed. She shoots left, though. Shoots huh? left because yeah. she was left-eye dominant, and uh, she actually started out shooting right-handed. Yeah, and I'm sure over time, she switched. now she there's probably no chance she could shoot a bow proficiently right-handed, you know, because now she's so left-handed with a bow in hand. And that's, it, it's like saying, I don't know how to say it. If you're right-handed in basketball, you know, and then you go, oh, but I'm left-eye dominant, I'll start shooting left-handed. No, nah, that doesn't work. If you have enough talent, um, and Jay Bars comes to mind, Jay, for example, um, golf and baseball, I think, hits right, but he's left-handed. Mm. You know? Yeah, like Phil Mickelson hits left-handed in golf because it uh, helps create power, actually. if Because uh, he's, he's very right-handed, is my understanding. Maybe I'm just making this up, but I've heard this. He's very right-handed. But say it with he's enough strong. conviction, we'll yeah. believe you. He's stronger on his right arm. And the right arm is able to generate more power in his golf swing, in his left-handed golf swing, than a right hand in a right-handed golf swing. So, you know, yeah, the eye dominance thing—if it works and they're they're able to shoot a bow with whichever hand matches the eye dominance, great. But if they're really struggling, try them on the other side. Got ourselves a techie question here. It's from Corey. He'd like to start out the email by saying he really likes our podcast. Thank you, Corey. Appreciate that. Uh, he shoots compound, setting up for indoor shooting an AAE freak show rest which is the rest that mm-hmm. was de- developed uh, with uh, Jesse Broadwater. Right? Yeah, same one I shoot. <clears throat> now, this has a 12 blade and 27 12s with veins, and I think the reason I want to answer Corey's question is because I think a lot of folks are going to find themselves with this question. Uh, so again, AE Freak Show rest, 12 foul blade, 27 12s with veins. He wants to know how long should the arrow travel on the rest. As of now with a powder tune, the arrow is riding along the rest the entire length of the shaft, with no contact to the veins, is this correct? Yeah, that's great. If you can do it with no contact to the veins, that's great. The other side of that is it doesn't always hurt to have vein contact, provided it's not creating inconsistency. I use a 10,000s blade, and what I find, and I've done this with high-speed camera, and a high-speed camera is a great investment if you want to really fine-tune things. But on the high-speed camera, a 10 blade tended to flex out of the way a little better than a 12, and... I saw good scores with it, so I went with that. Um, if you're going the entire length, that that's ideal. I mean, support throughout the shot to me is is ideal. A lot of people go to a narrow blade with with wide, with big arrows, thinking, oh, it it helps, but I, for whatever reason, you know, they think, oh, there's less contact or whatever. But I'm a proponent of having more guidance, control the, the arrow. Yeah. If I if I give it a little torque to one side or the other, it doesn't skid off the blade as easy. Stays in the groove. And I'd rather have I'd rather have that and some vein contact than an arrow that's you know riding on one side of the of the blade. So you're saying a little contact but consistent doesn't hurt is better than a situation where you have sort of half-hearted yeah, support. Yeah, a, a skitter I call it. So okay, so it sounds like our. Uh, but yeah, if you do a, if you if you have access to a high speed camera or you know you, you want to get in with some buddies and spend thousand bucks on one, it's really cool to actually watch what different arrow spines do, watch what different knocking point locations do, 
and then you know a change to the blade thickness blade angle there's a lot there's a lot to it and uh for me for me on the freak show set behind the tech bar so set back the 10,000s blade was best now uh, going along with that uh do you want to expound at all on the whole principle uh, of uh where the rest support is relative to the pivot point it's pretty in depth okay maybe we'll save <laughs> like that a torque for... tuning yeah. yes there there is kind of a of a a point in there that will give you better left to right forgiveness when you're torquing the bow um in regards to where your arrow rest is set forward and backward um so it's something you got to test but you know shove your arrow rest all the way forward torque your bow to the side and shoot a shot that's aimed at the middle see where it hits if it hits near the middle that's great Mm -hmm. Uh, if it's way off try putting your rest all the way to the other side you know to the back and do it again and there there is a sweet spot in there that kind of works in conjunction with uh the the sight radius and there's a lot of info out there on torque tuning so yeah probably best to read up on it um but there there's a spot where you'll find and this is the only place i can see you know a true measurement of quote-unquote forgiveness in a bow is with torque tuning there's a spot in there where you'll see the least amount of left or right miss so an ideal situation would be for you to have exactly what it is you're describing uh have a full contact with a beefy blade Mm -hmm. and no no touching the veins um you said that's ideal i'm sorry yeah um i mean our you know our our listener basically has a good situation yeah that's not bad at all if you're getting away with that and you feel like your scores are good then then roll with it if you feel like something's missing try a 10 thou blade first yeah okay or check blade angle you know some other options too yeah give it more angle it's acting like a weaker blade yeah make it more more perpendicular to the surface of the shaft acts like a stiffer blade yeah by the way um you know we talk about blades because you know they're they're stainless or carbon steel and there's been some new stuff out there uh plastic blades Mm -hmm. polymer composite blades supported blades like i think on the biter like there's a plastic panel underneath you got any thoughts on any of that stuff um I'll stick with what I'm using for now. The plastic ones I've heard are okay, but I've heard they like to break. Or, or it's like a carbon or whatever that stuff is. You, you just know, need to maintain it like anything else then. Yeah. I, I've had great luck with, a, with the AAE Pro Blade system or Freak Show blades, and they, they've always worked well for me. One thing I will say is if you're switching from one brand of rest to another, and it's like, say, the AAE, the blades are a little longer. If you're using a 10-thou blade on a AAE and then you go to a, a uh, like a trophy taker it's a shorter blade so you need to factor that in the length of the blade will contribute to the sag if it's 10 thou on one and it's longer 10 thou on a shorter one is actually going to be stiffer so keep that in mind um I'm going to ask you one more thing and that's about ATA show because we haven't had a chance to talk about that oh, at all man are you trying to forget? No, ATA show was really good, actually. It was one of the, I, I normally completely hate the ATA show. It's a lot ATA of show is the industry trade show, the Archery Trade Association show that takes place every year. This year it was in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. It takes place in January every year. And it was a little early this year for, this, for the calendar, but the calendar is so full. Yeah. So how uh, what did you see anything at the show that 
made you go, hmm, this could be the next important thing or, or something really cool? I don't remember. <laughs> I didn't get to walk around a ton. Yeah, I know you were really busy. Yeah, it was uh, – there was – I don't recall anything, you know, truly revolutionary at this year's show. Um, and, and maybe the industry's a little tapped out on that or maybe this just isn't the year for that. But um, I don't I don't recall anything specific. Pretty good turnout for the show. Yeah. I mean, everybody's always got some cool new products. There's always there's always some cool stuff. I, it's there. always interesting to look at what the little garage operators have done because those are usually the ones that have the unique stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes, really, you know, why use four screws when sixteen will do? But <laughs> yeah, you know, complicate stuff. But um, in general, I would say that uh, the I, I think I agree with you. I don't think I've seen anything earth shattering in the industry this yeah, year. Yeah, which is fine. You know, <clears throat> yeah sometimes new product doesn't always mean better product true yeah. so i i'm i'm more than happy to see you know refinements and perfection of of current models and and there's some stuff out there that that was certainly looking pretty good and um but not not a ton of new product this year and not a lot of big you know whiz bang re, you know new product showcases and releases and people gathering around to see that so but uh overall you know it was Matthews yeah, came back so. to the show for the first time in yeah. years. Yeah, they had a really cool booth set up. I really liked it. I'm kind of a geek, and that stuff kind of falls in my court here at Easton. So I like to look at everybody's displays and how they do that stuff. And Matthews had a really nice one. Mm-hmm. Um, Boning had one I really liked, too. So I'm going to probably copy that. Oh, you mean the booth? Display. The yeah, way they the did booth, the booth? The booth setup was cool. Mm-hmm. I, I liked it. I thought it was good. I would love to have that for trade. I, uh, I think booth like setup's Vegas. a little too inside baseball for the... <laughs> yeah. This is the, the geeky stuff that gets me going here at Easton, so... Yeah, <laughs> all right. Yeah. If you think I'm just walking around shooting arrows and talking to pros, think again. Speaking of a booth, we're going to have one in Vegas. We have a booth in Vegas, uh, yeah. Lancaster's going to have some of the cool new stuff, like the new quivers. Yeah. And we're going to have a really cool 50th anniversary vegas t-shirt yeah we got a we got a t-shirt yeah but it's a really cool one yeah and we'll have a lot of apparel items actually yeah because you know it's hard to get a hold of of stuff like shooter jerseys and stuff we know that because you know dealers don't normally carry that stuff yeah apparel in in europe is like non-existent yeah because it's hard to get it's hard to ship and and all that yeah Yeah. so um we're gonna have all that stuff for sale at the easton booth yep and robbie will have some at the lancaster booth Yep. And um, the new quivers uh, seem to have created a bit of a buzz. People are digging on those. Clint's liking that because, yeah. uh, you know, he really put a lot of effort into those quivers. Yeah. And um, I need to charge him a consulting fee. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah. No, yeah, seriously. I gave one away a name, and, and the crowd was, was pretty excited about it. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. I'll bet if, if, if you get shark action for a casquette, the quiver probably yeah. went over really well. So, of course, I gave it to a guy. You know, we, we only had right-handed available. And the guy who won it, of course, is left-handed. Because that's how that stuff freaking works. Of course. <sighs> but we'll get them a left-handed one when they're available, which is yeah, soon. Yeah, we'll swap them out. Yeah. Uh, I think they've already been delivered, so we're in good shape on some of that stuff. Yep. Um, so that's it. That that pretty much covers stuff. We've got Las Vegas coming up after after the Lancaster shoot this upcoming week. Las Vegas, the biggest Vegas ever. 3,000 people. Bruce is excited. We're excited. Yeah, I'm excited. I think that'll be fun. Yeah. And um, I, I, you know, I'm, I've got, I'm torn because you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm the MC for for both the Saturday night event and the Sunday night event. But uh, I'm hoping that you will not be my MC partner because you'll be in the finals. I don't want any of that. Okay, so that's that's the mindset that we'll have right now. But if you hear two voices on the YouTube feed, you'll know what happens. 
<laughs> just leave it at that. Then we got Ankara, 2016 coming up. The uh, uh, the last major indoor event, yep. which is uh, could be the penultimate world indoor. Could be, you know, could be the next to last one. Yeah. And um, I'm I'm hoping that uh, they figure out a way to keep a world indoor. I kind of like the idea of having one. I think indoor is the future of the sport. Certainly on the compound. On side. the compound side. Yep. And we'll just leave it at that for now. Mm-hmm. Then we got yeah. Well, that's a whole can of worms. Oh, and we'll open that sometime this season. Yeah. But uh, you know, we've got Medellin, we've got Antalya, uh, we got Shanghai coming up for World Cup stuff. Antalya is super important because it's the last, it's the final qualifying tournament for the Rio Olympic yeah. Games. I don't think we're allowed to talk about outdoor yet. All right, we don't need to go there yet. <laughs> but you know, in six weeks. I mean, it's it's yeah, right around the corner. Wrap, we're, yeah, we're we're wrapping up indoor season pretty quick. You look out so. to the window there, and all the snow has melted already. Yeah, so except the three inches we're going to get today, yeah, and up in the mountains. Yeah. But all right, well, for myself, George Tekmichov and Steve, the hold up uh, a little fun fact, new new info. Yeah, just so came in. Just this just in. This just in. Thanks everyone. I, I shared a video on my page um, regarding Knockfit. Oh you know, yes, I remember. About it on the and by podcast. the way, you did a great job on that. It was huge. Yes. Everyone shared it. It got yes. like 700 shares or something crazy. Uh-huh. 158,000 people the Reach. post reached. Yeah. Um, 64,000 views on that. So thanks nice. everybody for sharing that. 64,000 people saw the difference between a good Yeah, a nine second fit. video, you know? Well, you know what? We, we're going to do more stuff like that. Yeah, I got to kick it out every now we and being, then. We being you, you're going to do more <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> because that worked well. So, so once again... You, something you want to see, something you want to understand better through a short video. Yep. Shoot Thir- us. Yeah, 15 seconds or less. It's got to fit on Instagram or I'm not doing it. Shoot us an email <laughs> at podcast at eastontp.com. And let us know what you want. And if Steve picks your video, we'll send p- you picks, a, your I- picks your idea for a video. What do you think? Send him a quiver? Do we have a budget for that? No. We'll figure something out. Something cool. We'll say your name on the video. <laughs> <laughs> That's not much incentive, Steve. We'll figure something out. All right. We'll we'll come up with some cool. Our our budget of zero dollars is already in the negatives. So. Because the podcast doesn't have yeah. a budget, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. We actually have to do this over our lunch break, in fact, because there's yeah. just no budget for the thing. Speaking of Hey, which, we could send him one of these uh Nope. No? Nope. No? Nope. No? Nope. All right. I won't I won't say what this is. <laughs> I see these things lying here and I'm thinking we could send him one of those. Actually I want you to save me one of those. I'll save you one. All right. Uh too bad we can't tell them what that is, but uh that is the most expensive hat ever made. So now they know it's a hat. Yeah, but it's yeah. the most expensive hat ever made. Well, yeah, that we've ever made. That no, I think it's the most expensive <laughs> ever. hat ever made. <laughs> All right, I think we've uh, taken this well off the rails now. Yeah. I just, I just got my my travel agent just sent me my uh, flight information for getting to for getting to Ankara, and it is not pretty. This is this is really bad. Um, I'm going to have a chat with my... Who uses a travel agent anymore? Well, I do because I, 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 I'm not smart enough to figure this See, stuff I'm out. See, I'm great myself. at that stuff. Look at this. They've got me going on United Airlines. Nope. No, not going to happen. Just book a flight to Paris and then figure yeah. it out from there. Yeah, not going to happen. Uh, not pretty. So, all right. Anyway, um, that wraps it up for myself, George, and Steve the... Big Cat. Anderson... Um, See you in Vegas. See you in Vegas. Have a good day.